This is a message to all my supporters of this podcast. I'm introducing a new supporters program. You can contribute a small amount as a one-off payment to show your love for this podcast. Thank you in advance for all your contributions. Hi, my name's Mark Hayward, the Absolute Mindset Podcast. Created and hosted by Mark Hayward. I'm a corporate employee with an entrepreneurial mindset. This podcast will help and support you with new ideas about business. These are my thoughts, ideas, and comments. Today we have an, an interview with Manoj Agarwal, and uh, really looking forward to, to getting to the detail of his career. So Manoj, how are you today? Good, how are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining me. Yeah, I'm excited to be a part of this. Excellent, excellent. So, um, so we're going to talk about your, your career and your past and your future. Um, I think this, uh, there's some really interesting stories I'm hoping are going to come out of uh, this uh, interview. Uh, let's go all the way back to the start then. Let's go back to your education. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about how, how, how you were educated and, and, and your experiences about that. Yeah, education, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it was an interesting journey. Um, I was a pretty bright student uh, in, in, in my school days, uh, you know, straight A's and all that. Uh, but I lacked a lot of resources, a lot of uh, sort of support um, in terms of getting higher education. And uh, due to that, uh, I had to uh, sort of start working very early uh, to support uh, my passion uh, for education. So I was working in a factory uh, trying to support myself and, um, uh, and acquiring the education that I could afford, which was um, not the, the best education I could afford, but uh, it was good enough uh, to give me the basics that I needed to understand. Um, so that's how I started, you know, uh, working 12 hours in a factory and then uh, devoting the rest of the time to get my, uh, my uh, uh, bachelor's degree first and then the master's degree in, uh, in IT. And do you think that sort of uh, background, that sort of way you grew up made, made you more determined to be successful? Yes, for sure. Um, you know, uh, any, any challenge that we face is, is what makes us, uh, uh, you know, drive yeah. uh, towards uh, so that challenge was actually, uh, you know, very motivating. And uh, um, the, the, the more challenging the life got, the more determination I got to, to make something out of this life and uh, uh, leave behind the, uh, the misfortunes that I had earlier on. And, and so you moved to Canada. Yes, what, what was the background of moving to Canada? I know you've got a story about your wife as well. So what, um, how, how did you get to Canada and, and, and what did you start doing when you first moved to Canada? Yeah, so uh, interestingly enough, so, you know, I, I, I fell in love with computers when uh, back in 95, 96, I was, you know, spending a lot of time programming and trying to learn how to, um, how to sort of, you know, be creative and come up with cool solutions. And during that time frame, I joined a computer programming course uh, where I met my future wife, and uh, uh, you know she was uh, she was charming enough, but uh, she was kind of I guess you know I, I, this will get me in trouble, but uh, I'll be honest, she was kind of lazy and uh, did not want to complete her assignment, so uh, she enlisted me to complete her assignments, and uh, I was uh, you know I I was uh, glad to do that for her, yeah. and 
yeah, I mean, and one thing led to another, and then you know we we got married in India and uh, decided to move to Canada um, and try our luck there to build a life. So your early part of your career was basically as a coder, as a software engineer. Just so, so what, was it just a passion of computers from a, from an early age, or did you grow into it, or were you were you sort of did you think it was a very like a good career path to go through? What sort of what sort of inspired you into coding? Yeah, computers were you know as I said uh, you know I, I did not have a lot of resources, so computers uh, being a very expensive item, it was a, a thing of luxury for me. Um, I think uh, the first time I lay my hands on a computer was uh, when I was in 12th grade, like, you know, they introduced some uh, computing courses in my school. Uh, and I did not get, you know, the, the whole, uh, I did not realize the potential of the computer, uh, the, the whole computing uh, technology until about three or four years down the road. You know, when I, when I started thinking about, okay, when, when I started learning that you can actually program uh, things and then you can feed it to the computer and then computer will just basically do what you ask uh, it to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was just sort of, you know, using computers for playing games and things like that, uh, which was uh, quite, uh, you know, interesting, but I, you know, the, the power that you get by uh, actually making the computer do what you want it to do, mm-hmm. that was really mind blowing. So um, around, I will say 95 or 96, I really got into computers and at that time, you know, uh, computers were, were being implemented in most business domains and, you know, the use cases for computers were just sort of um, catching up and the inter- internet was being introduced at that time. So everything was coming together and that sort of led me, um, uh, le- led, sort of, you know, it made me more passionate about computers and uh, I just knew this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And so, so, so the, the, the sort of IT sort of technology, uh, computers, uh, I've spoken to, uh, to a couple of people in my recent interviews about how things have changed from the mid to late nineties to how we are now. And a lot of the feedback people have given me is that speed capacity are, are, are one of the main, uh, main differences. What would you say is the biggest difference or some of the differences from mid nineties to where we are now in 2019? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's it's uh, definitely it has become faster, uh, bigger, uh, better uh, in many ways. But we are still going through an evolution. The com- uh, the field of computing is very young. Uh, so you know, if you compare uh, field of computing with other traditional industries like construction or automotive or you know oil and gas, they've had uh, their lifetime have been in in uh, centuries, right? Yeah. Uh, two, centuries, three centuries. And the kind of innovation they've had, um, you can just imagine uh, the IT industry or computing industry started in, say, 1960s, 1970s, but really caught on around 1980s. So uh, really, we've had only a few decades of uh, progress. Mm-hmm. And today, yes, we have, uh, you know, high-speed bandwidth connections at, in our homes. You know, we have um, large compute capacities in, in cloud systems. But yet today we still think about, you know, how do we get our data into the hands of uh, a mobile user who is, who's in a remote area or, you know, how uh, we, we try to optimize the data feed so that even on low bad bandwidth connections, yeah. uh, you can get the right uh, experience to the user. So these, these are the problems that we still think about. Now imagine 
you know, in a, in a, in a transportation in, uh, industry, we were talking about, you know, how do I get my, my uh, vehicle, a four-wheel, uh, uh, you know, a four-wheeler vehicle into a remote area. Uh, you know, uh, uh, those are some limitations that should go away in the next few decades. So to answer uh, your question, yes, we have made a lot of progress, but we have quite a few, uh, you know, uh, quite a bit of uh, more progress to be made. And within 50 years, I don't think we'll have any issues. We won't even talk about, you know, how fast the internet connection is. It's, it's, it's just going to be like, okay, you know, you open your device and all the data that you need will be uh, available. So, you know, these type of things will, will be a thing of past, basically. So, so if you could look into the future, um, where so you, you you say like speeds and things like that will just be you'll, you'll just be able to get get your your data as quickly as you can. What do you see? Do, do you do you ever like read or think about that sort of future proofing of of computer science or or, or technology? Do, do you see where? Because I'm going to talk a little bit about blockchain a little bit later on. Um, but do you see any other? So artificial intelligence is obviously something that is very hot at the moment. Uh, blockchain and 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 uh, and block uh, is very big at the moment. Is there any other things that you see maybe in the next 10 or 12 years that are going to be game changers? Yeah. Um, I think we are at the, you know, we are in an interesting time right now. There are a few technologies that you just mentioned. They are coming together at the same time. It doesn't happen that, you know, some groundbreaking technologies come together at the same time uh, in, in, in many case, in most industries, uh, like in our, in our industry as well. So, you know, uh, first came the, the mainframes, then came personal computers, then came the internet. And now in this, uh, you know, today we're uh, in 2019, uh, machine learning, cloud computing, blockchain, all these are coming together. So, um, you know, if, if I knew what, uh, what future technologies will uh, be more uh, prevalent in 10 years, I will be like, you know, I, I think it. I'll be <laughs> right now. Um, but that being said, uh, these technologies that are being used today, they have a huge potential of changing uh, the way we live, the way we work. In fact, as you as you have heard, um, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence is getting up to a point where they can uh, do and think uh, better than humans, right? Mm -hmm. So you can uh, you can think like you know, as we achieve uh, general artificial intelligence, meaning uh, not artificial intelligence for specific tasks but general uh, artificial intelligence, which can compete with human brain and can figure out uh, optimal solutions uh, in any situation. Um, that will basically change how we live because uh, we will no longer need uh, our brain power to do certain things. Uh, so, you know, as a society, we'll have, to, uh, we'll have to find new ways to occupy our brains, our time, and hopefully invest our, you know, our, our time into more, uh, productive and peaceful purpose, purposes. So, you know, uh, that's going to be an exciting future, basically. Do, do you see AI as a um, as the doomsday, or do you see, are you more optimistic about AI and, and machine learning? I don't think it's going to be doomsday. Uh, you know, uh, like as humans, we uh, we tend to be pessimistic, um, and we always look at you know the, the bad, especially in the media. You know, they they want to uh, sensationalize uh, everything. So um, again, you know, look back in history uh, when weaponry was invented, when automotives were invented, all these disruptive technologies, uh, at the, at, uh, you know, when they were invented in those times, uh, people 
were not very open to them right yeah. even the idea uh, when galileo invented telescope uh, he was uh, he was executed basically so um, uh, you know all these technologies when they are emerging we always tend to be a little bit scared of them uh, but as they start to be adopted and we start to see the benefits i think you know those fears are are uh, uh, they basically just vanish over time uh, that being said uh, they have the potential these technologies have the potential to be used for wrongful purposes and i'm sure some uh, some of the applications will be for destruction for uh, you know for uh, war and things like that but i think overall i'm very optimistic uh, in in our hum- human races uh, potential to use anything uh, for common good right it's it's one of one of the favorite uh, quotes i've got from uh, from um henry ford is like if he asked people whether what what did they want they'd ask for a faster horse rather than a car exactly so so i i i, I totally get that uh, the general population might be a little bit fearful because people have grown up with films like terminator and all things like that for when it comes to ai but ai i think is is, is genuinely groundbreaking and, and and i think it as you say it will impact our lives they're even coming into mobile phones very very quickly and easily and the sort of once that starts to be more widely used and seeing the benefit of it um i, I definitely think I, I i think ai and machine learning is one of the the most exciting areas of technology at the moment and i think exactly. a lot of there's a lot of potential untapped potential which we're only only really scratching the surface of yeah i completely agree with you okay so moving on um so so you moved from an engineer so a software engineer to a software architect yeah. career just talk me through that the the sort of the characteristics the characteristics of the difference between a developer and an architect um all right so uh a developer um you know and again you know i'll i'll use some analogies to explain the difference i don't want to uh, you know uh i don't want to demean anybody but basically developers are the front line uh engineers who actually execute um on on the vision of the project and and making sure we deliver the product that we are building and you know writing code testing the code uh, making sure it is all put together and it's deployed to the server and it's all working uh the architect can uh, you know basically their job is to stand back and look at what is being built and make sure that we build the technology not only for today but also accommodate the changes that will be coming down the pipe uh, in the future because uh, all technology basically uh, is built to serve the business mm-hmm. and uh, as you know business is always dynamic it changes and we have to accommodate for those changes so just another analogy could be you know when we start to build a building uh, if you don't have a good architectural plan the building may not last for a long time um, and not only that if we need to add or you know make any modifications to that building it's going to be quite a challenge because the foundational pieces of those building will not be able to accommodate those changes so uh, if we, if we come up with an, a good architectural plan we can put a strong foundation in and the same thing can be said about software and it that we can put a strong foundation in and we can make sure that the biz, uh, the software that we are building it it lasts longer not only that the architect also works with um, the business folks and and then uh, you know he or she asks them okay 
you know, how much time do you have to build this? How much, how many resources do you have to, uh, uh, do you have to invest in this solution? So, you know, if, if they have a very limited num- number of uh, days uh, in, t- in terms of, you know, when they want to go to the market or, or they have, um, they don't have the funds to uh, build a very large team, a very senior team, uh, the architectural patterns used will be a little bit different, even though the solution may not be very robust or uh, last very long because, you know, it's built with a very quick and dirty, uh, you know, sort of pattern. But if it's a, it's, a, it's a solution to be built for decades or it's a mission critical system, uh, then the architectural patterns used will be quite different. Yeah, so 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 something I've experienced because I, I work with uh, developers and architects and and testers etc. In my my day job, one of the things I distinguishing distinguishing factors between a a developer and an architect for me is an architect has a business perspective on uh, on the product, the service, whatever you are building, where a software engineer doesn't have to. Some do, exactly. and, and the best probably do have, have that nice balance between the two. But I've, yeah. a lot of software developers don't are not interested in the business side. Um, so, so I, I, would you, would you say that's one of the main differences? Yeah. That's right. That's right. So, um, uh, having that knowledge about the business uh, is very important for the architecture uh, architect to come up with the right architecture for that situation. So. Uh, and 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 you're absolutely right. Most developers do not have any interest in in understanding the business, which I highly discourage. I I actually encourage all my team members to uh, take interest in the business uh, in the business side of things. And the other thing is um, the 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 career path for software architect is through uh, software development, and uh, you know when they move up uh, into the R, become a software architect, and only the the developers who uh, you know, take interest in understanding the business can uh, uh, expect to go to that level, right? Right. So, so just t- it's slightly different tilt on this uh, uh, sort of conversation so far. So you've 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 changed from an architect, an engineer to an architect to a CTO. That's sort of a, a very simplistic view of your sort of career trajectory. But personally, as a developer, being having that personal development in your career, how did you, how did you make those changes? Was it a lot of external study? Was it a lot of learning on the job? Did you get taught by mentors? How did you move your career forward um, to, to a CTO? Uh, yeah. So, so one thing is curiosity drives. Um, so curiosity is number one, uh, meaning, you know, I'm always trying to understand, okay, I'm doing this job, but you know, what is the next person uh, in the hierarchy expecting of me? How do they do their job? You know, what are yeah. their uh, uh, success factors? And I try to learn from them. I try to get mentorship from them and um, try to understand how I can better myself and take, take my career from one level to the next. And, you know, along with that curiosity, once you gain that understanding uh, comes the drive and action. Uh, to implement those things, learn those things. So, you know, um, earlier on in my career, I used to spend um, insane amount of time just uh, trying to read, trying to put things together, break them apart, trying Mm. to put them together. Um, And and then those were sort of, uh, you know, more on the execution side, on the technical side. But then uh, as I started rising in the career, I started learning more about management, more about uh, how to uh, lead people. Yeah. how to 
people get their buy-in, how to uh, work with executives and, you know, what are their priorities? How, what do they care about? Because, you know, in, in most cases, as you know, executives do not care about the, the nitty gritty execution detail, but they care about the higher big picture. Yeah. And uh, how do you communicate with them? Communication is another important skill that I had to, uh, you know, uh, put a lot of emphasis on. So yeah. all these things combined, basically curiosity and drive and action are the three main things that can uh, sort of, you know, if one follows those, uh, implements those three things, uh, then the rest of the details, they automatically sort of, you know, either you can figure it out or you can find mentors who can help you get there. Yeah. And, and so one of the things I talk about on my podcast is being open to opportunities. I think a lot of people on and they, they get content or happy on their sort of career path and they just stop. I, I think it's a similar thing to your sort of using curiosity. I think it's just yeah. being open and available to be able to see those opportunities and then action them because a lot of people get those opportunities, but they don't necessarily action them. So um, that's great. That's fantastic. As a, as, a, as a personal development, I think that is something that most or well, everyone who wants to further their career should be curious. Exactly. You should not really put any boundaries around, like, you know, you should not really, uh, that, that's one thing you have to train your mind to not put any boundaries around you. Um, and you should not say, you know, I can only go as far in life. Um, everybody can basically, you know, everybody can become whatever they want. And uh, that's really true. And I've found that to be really true in my own career as well. And, and do you, so one of the things, another thing I talk about on my podcast is about setting goals. And so the idea of short term, medium term, long, like long term, as in like 30 years sort of goals. Do you set goals yearly or are, is your career now at the point that it's, it's, it's more of a vision that you're creating at the moment? Um, yeah, earlier on, I did not, uh, you know, I was not very organized in terms of setting goals. Uh, even though, uh, as you put it, you know, you use the very uh, good word, uh, vision. I had a vision of where I wanted to be and, right. you know, uh, and I, I, you know, even, even though like it was very kind of foggy, it was not very uh, structured. I did not know where it's going to take me, but right. I just knew, you know, if, if I keep doing this, uh, it'll be, it'll, it'll lead to something wonderful. Uh, but now I have, you know, more structured goals. I have more structured timelines and I work towards them. Um, and it's part of the learning that, that happens over time. You know, the, once you have nailed down the technology, you have, uh, you know, figured out how to manage people, then it comes to this kind of higher level thinking of, you know, how to set goals, how to accomplish them, uh, you know, how to, how to work towards them in step-by-step manner. Okay. Awesome. Uh, we're going to come back to managing people in a minute. I, I, I think that's an important point. I think a lot of people, whether they're developers, whether they're business people, whether they are uh, project managers, business analysts, whatever, the, the whole managing people and communicating, I think is really important. But I just want to touch, but before we go into that, I just want to touch base. So you've worked with big corporates, you've worked with startups uh, throughout your career. Um, which do you prefer? Uh, I actually prefer startups. Um, so I have, uh, you know, just to clarify, even when I worked for, for big corporates, uh, they were projects uh, which were incubated as startups within a very large corporate environment. So they were actually run as a startup. Yeah. And the exciting part about that is, you know, when you run a project as a startup, uh, you know, you don't have time for bureaucracy or, you know, red tape. 
things happen fast and you move fast, yeah. you fail fast and you get results fast. Yeah. And does that, does, um, so, so in, uh, I, I basically left a, a company, um, uh, last Friday and I'm moving to another role next week. Um, but one of the things, um, sort of the incubator sort of level of, of, of ideas, how, cause I, the feedback I've been given is that it's actually quite successful in these large corporates. They, they can actually act more like a startup, although the main part of the business obviously has lots of, uh, more complexity let's say would you say does it does it work well does it, or have you got to be very focused on what what sort of ideas you're bringing in with that incubation uh, it depends on the company culture so as the companies grow uh, you know their culture becomes a little bit sluggish and that's uh, because of no fault of their own because you know they have uh, so many stakeholders involved and so many processes that they have to comply with to manage this such such a large uh, corporation um, so it really depends on the mindset. If if people can actually embrace uh, the ideas, not just give it lip service that you know it's an incubated uh, project within a large corporate, but actually embrace uh, you know the the corporate culture that is needed for a startup uh, within that uh, within that project, and be open towards uh, you know failure because startups uh, are not guaranteed. So you can uh, you know uh, the the projects that I worked on basically it was like an experiment. And, uh, you know, they put a little bit of funding towards that. And you know, if we are able to demonstrate that there is a real business case, uh, then they, they can, uh, you know, add a little bit more funding. And as we demonstrate success, uh, you know, it can, it can bloom into a, a really significant part of the, of the, uh, of the uh, company itself. Yeah. You know, a very good example of this is uh, AWS, right? AWS was incubated as like an internal project and, yeah. and so on. And right now, AWS is one of the like it's a huge, um, it's a huge contributor to the bottom line of uh, Amazon. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent agree. And and another one just to just to throw in in the mix, Google Maps was another one that that was a an idea that sprung out of their their eighty twenty principle or seventy twenty ten principle, where they had these other ideas. And and as I say, like now. If you don't have a sat nav in your in your car, you use Google Maps. Lots of people use Google Maps wandering around streets of London and everywhere in the world. So, um, yeah, those sort of ideas, those sort of ideas that get incubated can be very, very successful. So I would 100% agree with that. Okay. Um, so tell me about Tetranoodle Technologies. What is it? What's your role? What's the business? Yeah. So um, uh, uh, earlier on, you know, when I when I started my career in Canada, uh, I, I worked for a company in US as well. Uh, this was back in the dot com uh, bust, uh, uh, you know, when that. Happened. So I experienced the dot com boom. It was very exciting, and I also experienced the dot com bust. Um, and then uh, I worked for a couple of startups in the uh, in those time frames. Uh, and uh, what happened was dot com bust happened, and then September eleventh happened. But there was a you know a period of um, a lot of churn, a lot of uh, ups and downs. And what I realized was uh, I I I did not want to be uh, you know I did not want to be in a situation where I I give my uh, the control of my career and life to uh, you know somebody else. Mm -hmm. uh, similar when I started off in my career, like you know when when I had to figure out how to get the education that I needed. So um, I immediately sort of around I think 2002 2003 I. Uh, went from a uh, permanent employee to a consultant and wow. I started a consulting company. Uh, back then it was called Spider Communications. 
and now recently I renamed it to Tata Noodle. So uh, basically there are three or four employees in the company and we provide consulting services and training services to startups or you know, mid-sized companies, uh, anything related to technologies, software, IT, uh, any latest technologies like um, machine learning, blockchain and so on. Okay, so more cutting edge technologies you sort of prioritize yes. and sort of give advice on. That's right. We do specialize in that. So, you know, we, we always try to look at the projects which are, you know, more uh, sort of uh, cutting edge. But at the same time, uh, it doesn't have to be anything related to machine learning. As long as it serves the purpose, we also try to, uh, you know, get involved in projects which are solving a real human, uh, biz, uh, you know, human or business problem for people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not just like a, a social network of, uh, you know, like just to kill time, but some real purpose. And those are the projects we like to get involved in. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so what, while we're talking about your business, you're sort of managing people. So what, what, what skills did you need to learn to be able to manage people beyond your architect and software engineer? What, what were the skills you tried to, you tried to develop and, and sort of, how successful obviously you were successful in it but how did you build that into your 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 career yeah i think uh, two key skills that i had to learn at a human level they were communication and empathy um so you know um obviously when we when you're an individual contributor you focus on what you need to deliver and you know get it out the door and do the best you can uh but when you're managing people or when you're in a team environment uh, especially if you're responsible uh, for the entire team's delivery and also the progress and uh, career development of your team members, you have to, first of all, empathize with them and try to understand exactly what their priorities are. Uh, and that, that's where communication comes in. And then uh, you basically need to help them get what they want out of the project as well. So it's not just what are they delivering uh, in terms of uh, their output, their source code, or whatever they're working on. It's also what I'm getting back out of this project, right? Mm -hmm. uh, only then, I think, uh, you know, true passion comes in because they, they see, the team members see that working on this project is not just about earning money. It's also about uh, learning and growing themselves. And that has been a very critical part of you know, how I work with, the, with any team. So, so, so you're, so you've developed a sort of way of being able to create a vision for teams, whether it's in your consultancy business or whether it's your own business, your, 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 like your dream, your vision is, is incredibly important for your particular role. Do you agree? Um, vision as in, um, yes, you know, vision is about what we want to deliver, yes. right? And uh, there are certain uh, quality standards and timelines we need to make, meet. Yeah. Uh, so those things are not negotiable. Um, so we cannot lower the quality. We cannot, you know, uh, timelines are sometimes negotiable, but that depends on the client. Uh, yeah. But uh, my my main priorities are okay. Uh, we are going to deliver this to the to the client or our customer. Um, so we will all make certain amount of money out of this. But what are we going to uh, what are we going to get over and above the money part, which is growth, our personal growth, the, yeah. our growth. Um, and that's what I focus on. And uh, uh, the other part is like, you know, initially when we start off a project, I'm very hands-on. I, you know, I get involved in a very uh, low level details. But once uh, kick off and people know exactly what they're doing, I'm kind of very hands-off and just 
let them do their thing and uh, yeah. uh, check in once in a while with them. Yeah, 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 it makes sense. And and I suppose because um, two of the sort of in, in technology, the, the two different ways of managing their business, so the difference between Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. So Bill Gates was very transactional and, and he paid his developers a good wage because he wanted good developers where anyone who worked for Steve Jobs always had the vision to create something different, something new, which, which, which part, I think I know which side you're going to jump on, but which side would you, would, would you lean upon for your, uh, your business, your consulting, your, uh, which, which side would you, would you lean more closely to? Um, so it's, it's kind of a, you know, kind of a controversial question. I think, uh, I've, I've, I've heard, I've read, uh, Steve Jobs' um, uh, biography and as a person, how he dealt with, uh, with others is not something that I appreciate. 100%. Um, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, uh, as a visionary, uh, I really appreciate his vision. Uh, that being said, I also appreciate Bill Gates's I, I don't want to uh, minimize the contribution that Bill Gates has mm. um, to our industry. At the end of the day, uh, you know, they are both uh, equally, like I think they're, they're, uh, they have been uh, equally uh, really, um, uh, how can I say it, like revolutionary in terms of what they have given to this world. Yeah. Um, and, you know, how they used to think is quite different. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of uh, their uh, management style, I think they got the best out of their people. How they got the best is, is quite different, right? As you said, Bill Gates was uh, more transactional and Steve Jobs were, was more passionate, although his passion was sometimes, uh, you know, got the best of him. And uh, uh, but, but, you know, everyone has their own personal style. Yes. Yeah. No, it was oh, sorry. I, I didn't mean to uh, put you in an awkward situation because uh, yeah, the Steve Jobs story um, often a lot of the story gets told of his passion and being able to deliver um, incredible uh, pieces of kit uh, technologies which never been seen before. But as you say, that his actual way of going about managing people was actually rather cruel in in some circumstances. So I wasn't implying that you were cruel to your employees or anything um i i just thought it was it's an interesting contrast because uh, as you say like bill gates the contribution of everyone having a having a computer was his ambition and although he um he conducted his business differently to steve jobs um it was it was a different it was a different time it was a different mindset of how how people should um should act so i, I didn't mean to put you into into an, an awkward situation there was probably no right answer to that whether you went one side or the other um anyway so you you've had a keen interest in blockchain so it's an incredibly difficult complicated area of technology so i've spent a bit of time doing a bit of research to understand it because i genuinely think it's it's one of those bits of technology which could actually really change the way even from uh, the way of elections yeah, yeah. to um, up to transactions and contracts and, and lots of different areas. Just unpack it for me, sort of blockchain and, and, and particularly the difference between Bitcoin and because everyone who doesn't really know a lot about it just thinks Bitcoin's blockchain and blockchain's Bitcoin, which it isn't. But just try and unpack that for me, please. Sure, sure. Um, all right. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about, you know, how humans uh, transact with each other. 
you know, as we started, you know, we, we came up with the barter system and we said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll uh, give you a grain of uh, a bowl of rice and you give me, you know, some services and whatnot. Um, so it was very, uh, you know, very uh, simple transactions and people were able to trust each other. And those, those transactions were synchronous, meaning, you know, as soon as uh, uh, you and I, we exchange goods, uh, the transaction was over. But as, uh, uh, you know, the world grew complex, more complex, uh, the distrust, you know, the, the transactions became more complex and uh, the distrust uh, set in where, you know, I was not sure if I gave you something, uh, uh, you know, a payment or money or whatever, I will get the goods or services that I ordered. So this type of distrust uh, created a problem where, uh, you know, uh, international trade or even uh, domestic trade became difficult. And in order to facilitate that, we had to uh, come up with these third party, uh, uh, third party um, higher higher authorities like bank and, and the government offices and all that um, escrow systems, which could uh, which could sort of oversee the transactions and make sure that you and I we don't like if we, if we are if we are able if we are to enter into a transaction that we don't cheat each other. So you promise something and I uh, promise to give uh, some. Uh, back to you uh, that um, value that transaction actually completes uh, so uh, this creates a lot of friction a lot of uh, uh, inefficiencies because now if I have to uh, buy something from you uh, I'm in Canada you are in uh, UK we have to go to a third-party bank and uh, you know I will need to deposit my money into the bank um, and then the bank will release it to you uh, when I when I can uh, when I can prove to the bank that okay you have delivered the goods or services to me. So this creates a lot of friction and, and uh, the, obviously the bank takes a fee. So blockchain, what it does is it gets rid of all this distrust, yet um, you know, it creates a, a system where we can easily trust each other without a third party higher authority. Yeah. So we can get into a transaction, we can say, okay, you know, I'm gonna put my uh, data on blockchain and nobody will be able to uh, alter it. So uh, mutual trust and indestructible and uh, data, uh, immutability of data. These are the two main advantages that blockchain um, provides. And it facilitates these kind of use cases where, you know, things like uh, election results, uh, land registries, yeah. uh, international trade, uh, and, uh, you know, all these type of transactions are possible without a third party getting involved. And when this happens, uh, you can imagine, uh, you know, when third parties are not involved, we can we can um, uh, come up with our personal networks or uh, anonymous networks where we can start to transact with each other uh, without revealing our identity as well. So it also, uh, you know, adds an advantage of security and privacy. Uh, so that sort of uh, that's sort of the the gist of blockchain. Now, Bitcoin is just another system built on blockchain, and what that system is providing is a financial transaction um, a financial transaction system where you and I, we can enter into, into a transaction, I can spend some Bitcoins uh, and you can, uh, you know, sell some services or goods. Uh, that does not mean that blockchain cannot be used for other use cases. Bitcoin is just one currency that has been implemented um, because of the characteristics and advantages that blockchain provides. And would you agree in my assessment that Bitcoin at the moment is speculated rather than investing at the moment. That's right. That's right. So, um, you know, it is, it is a good uh, proof of concept and uh, it, uh, you know, it is 
an unregulated currency. And, uh, uh, you know, I have some background in financial markets and, you know, I follow them uh, quite closely. And if you, if you go back in time and, uh, you know, look at the entire human history, uh, financial systems are very sensitive. Uh, because, you know, they affect how, um, how we work and how we live. And also they affect how, how at a global scale countries and governments they operate. So any unregulated uh, financial system, I do not believe will last long until and until unless, uh, you know, we see some regulation coming in uh, from from the international governments uh, and and some way to figure out, you know, how, how do we regulate them? How do we make sure they are not misused or they are not misused for bad purposes? Uh, I think it's just speculation. Once these things are in place and, uh, you know, we see some regulation in place, and some support, uh, you know, and, and affirmation from the government that, you know, these things are, uh, are um, legal. I think that time uh, it will be a good investment. But right now, I do not think it's a good investment. I think it's just speculation. So, so at the moment, my brain is going in two different directions. There are two things I want to follow up from that, that comment. Um, I'll, I'll come back to investing your idea about investing, saving, which I know you've got a particular sort of methodology or the way you approach it. I just want to go tap back in a little bit into blockchain and Bitcoin. So it has a bit of a bad reputation that, uh, that money laundering or it's easier to money launder. It's easier for... Um, whether it's uh, evil states manipulating uh, blockchain, etc. Where do you think that is? Is that because it's a mutual trust, and, and if someone is not a good person, they can manipulate that mutual trust that you've got? Why is there such a bad reputation from a from a sort of a perception of blockchain and Bitcoin? Well, it goes back to our earlier discussion we were having, right? Uh, as humans, we are very pessimistic and, yes. uh, and any news item that uh, is negative, it gets shared, uh, you know, exponentially uh, more times than something that's positive. Uh, so when Bitcoin started, you know, in the early days, it was used to uh, trade, um, you know, illegal uh, things like uh, drugs and all that. But that's just a small part of... Uh, what you know, Bitcoin is right. Ninety-five um, percent of the of the Bitcoin is used either for investment purposes or you know for leg, uh, legal purposes, like like any other currency. Like you know, even when we look at U.S. dollars, only uh, you know a, a fraction of that uh, currency is yeah. used for legal purposes, but the rest is used for legal and and uh, useful purposes. But with Bitcoin, you know, obviously it's a new thing, and people want to talk about it, and yeah. in the media. You know, uh, when a negative story comes about, it sort of spreads like wildfire. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that reputation is nothing else but just, uh, you know, just this uh, negative hype about uh, Bitcoin uh, or any other currency, uh, cryptocurrency. I, I totally agree. Uh, the media, whatever form it comes in, if it's wanting to get clicks or wanting to sell papers, whatever it is, a bad story always trumps something yeah. i don't mean using the word trump but always trumps a a, a good story you you, you don't yeah. see good stories that often in a paper no. or on the website so um yeah i 100 percent agree with that thank you for clarifying that um so what's the touch uh base about saving and investing i know um 
you said to me before we came on here that you you had a an experience uh, about investing and saving. So what what would you say the lessons you've learned and um, and any advice you could give anyone that's looking to sure. save more money or invest more money? Yeah. Um, yeah, I had an interesting experience. Uh, you know, um, in 2008, I had uh, I had some savings uh, put in, in in a very conservative uh, investment, and I lost uh, pretty much half of it. And that was a significant amount of my uh, my savings. Uh, so uh, I, I did not know anything about saving uh, investing, and I I was always taught from um, from my childhood. You know, this is a very speculative uh, speculative market. Don't do not uh, even think about investing in it. Mm. Uh, but then when it happened, uh, I basically forced myself to learn about it and understand it. And now I understand it uh, quite well after 10 years of research and all that. Um, basically, all, all I can say is uh, it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's a uh, it, financial industry um, has been quite, uh, you know, um, I, I'm trying to find a good word to describe it. Like they have been cheeky in the sense that they spread a lot of misinformation um, or they, they tend to hide a lot of useful information from, uh, from general public. And they basically just make it sound like it's a very complex uh, thing that, you know, you don't want to manage your own money, just give it to care of it. Um, so that kind of vibe, uh, you know, you get when you talk to uh, financial advisors and whatnot, and, uh, and definitely don't want to, uh, you know, find anybody listening who are in that profession, but that's yeah. the experience. I got. Um, so at the end of the day, um, you know, the, the simple uh, uh, lessons are the stock market is a very good investment if you can understand it. Uh, uh, companies who do well, who, whose stock prices rise, uh, they tend to build a lot of useful uh, product, useful products and services. It's all about earnings and growth. So you, if you want to invest in a company, look at their earnings. Is it is it earning positive? Um, for every dollar they are investing, is it earning more than a dollar? And what is their growth trajectory looks like? Uh, meaning, are they going to continuously uh, earn, uh, you know, the same amount uh, year over year or, you know, you see growth. For example, today they are earning $1. In the next year, will they earn $2, $3? And all this data is readily available. Um, and you just need to, you know, sort of learn about it. And if, if it's too complicated for you, a very simple way of doing this is just buy index funds. So index funds are uh, basically um, funds which follow uh, certain stock market indexes. So in North America, the S&P 500. And the, the, the last part I will say is make sure you understand that uh, you do not pay any fee. So index funds like mutual funds, they have heavy fee. Like, you know, uh, typically they'll charge you 2 or 3% uh, fee, annual fee. And that's a huge chunk of your money uh, yeah. will uh, hamper the growth of your of your capital. So look at very low fee alternatives for investing. And you know if, if you want if you want if you're an adventurous person and you want to learn more about it, uh, look at buying individual companies. Do not buy more than ten stocks in your portfolio. Um, have exit strategies on each of your positions. Meaning you know don't don't buy a company and stick with it. Like you know don't follow the Warren Buffett model. It doesn't work anymore. Um, so have an exit strategy that, you know, if you lose 10% on, on this stock, or if you make 25% on this stock, you will exit. So have these type of exit strategies. Uh, I mean, I, I'm giving you 
you know a lot of information in a very short period of time so it may confuse you so you know to to summarize it like if you want to be adventurous uh invest with a systematic approach not just you know uh not just um, follow uh, uh tips from friends and family so yeah. come up with a and if you want a very very simple investing strategy just uh, buy low cost and low commission index funds Okay, so so just more on that. So so a, a book I, um, I read uh, a little while ago by Tony Robbins, um, Unshakable, talked a lot about breaking down how to invest. And one of the things that he said was those those index funds on on each or each currency um, is is a very sensible to say. There's low um, admin charges. Um, and and invariably, let's just take the U.S. as an example, because uh, he used the example. The U.S. stock exchange is going to win long term, and therefore that's a it's a clever way of being able just to uh, invest on a long term basis. So, hundred percent agree with that. I think that's a really good tip for anyone who doesn't have a lot of experience in investing and just wants to start putting some money away. Um, the other thing. It sort of carries on. It is a Warren Buffett quote, but I know you said that he's he finds it doesn't always work now. But the Warren Buffett way, um, sort of, of if you're not a if you're not a full time investor and and that's not your primary job, invest in an index and then get on with your job and leave it to compound and and grow and grow and grow. So um, I think there's there's lots of I hundred percent agree when you watch the TV or you read the newspapers or the websites about investing, they make it incredibly complicated because they have, and I might be controversial here, they have a, a invest, they have an investment to, for their services. So they want it to sound complicated. So you don't do it yourself. Um, but so just, so I, I agree with everything you said there, just to break down the section on, on exit strategies and agree. So, so you would say if you bought a company, that you think is less than it sh- or could be, less than it potentially has, and um, I won't name any names, but just say you, you invest in company A, and you think they are undervalued, and so you put in X amount, a thousand pounds, hundred pounds, whatever, ten thousand pounds, whatever it is, into that company, and you buy stocks for that individual company. Um, so may- maybe you hold on to it for a year. And it goes up and you, you think, ah, oh, right, I've, I've got it sorted. This company is going to be a long growth uh, company. But something happens within that industry um, that's outside of the companies and it drops 10, 15% away uh, below what you bought it as. So it's, it's basically gone up and down. You would say, even though you thought at that time that it was a good long-term investment, you would, you would consider selling at a loss just to get out of a whether it's a volatile market or industry that's right so uh you know everybody has their own investment uh, philosophies um uh, my philosophy is that i do not know uh what is going to happen in the future i do not know i and i cannot uh, be 100 percent sure my investment um decision today is is going to uh pay uh in the long term so when I say long term, I do not know what long term means. I let the market dictate that. Yeah. So for example, my in my exit strategies are if I incur a twenty percent trailing loss on any position, then I exit. So trailing losses, you know, if 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 you are into um, investment, it means as the stock price rises, you raise the stop 
the stock price yeah 20% below the highest point that it reached um and i also exit on uh, you know let's say if i make 50% profit on a position i exit because what happens is as the as uh, you know the stock prices rise uh, they they tend to get sluggish like you know any marathon runner yeah. uh, can run so far uh, and after a while you know they they start to pace down right yeah. so what happens is, uh, if if you have made uh, you know decent amount of money in that company that means the future growth will be a little bit sluggish um, so it's a wise way to take out your money yeah. and put it in a, other sprint runner because it will grow much faster because there there are other options available who yeah. are growing faster so why will you you know get married to a position uh, which may not give you the right uh, you know the right amount of return in a short period of time instead you can take out that money and put it in a in a better um, better company at that time that's a really so so i think i think what we are from what I've taken from what you said, there is multiple approaches to invest in. As you said, the, the Warren Buffett way of sticking on to something for 20 years um, might not be necessarily the best course uh, it, as markets have evolved and markets have changed, which is really interesting. I think that's a really interesting point. Equally, getting out is actually good. And uh, uh, so it sounds like you're con- constantly sort of reevaluating your your stocks and, and what you have. So that's, that's equally um, as interesting. It, it's, so for example, there's, there's, I was doing a bit of research. I, I, I have a couple of investments, ISAs, which um, I've taken a couple of decisions on recently to change one of the funds. So one of them, I was reading about the, the, the top uh, in UK, I'm saying, uh, the top um, investors uh, that have beaten the market over the last 10, 15 years. And there was a, there was a, there was a, there was one of the uh, people when I was reading about was saying that they're contrarian and they, they, they look against the market when things are, are good, they look for the downside and how to approach it. And when it's bad, they look at the positives. What's your sort of feeling on, on that sort of, because it was very attractive to me because I, I, I didn't end up choosing that investor because I didn't feel bold enough to, to go purely on a contrarian basis. But do you, often the best times to make money is when you're in a recession and that's exactly. when everything is under value. Completely agree. So contrarian uh, views are consistent. So, you know, if, even if you look at uh, Warren Buffett's value-based investing, he says, uh, you know, buy the companies when they are cheaper, meaning people are selling it or, you know, uh, they are afraid it's going down. So as long as you can figure out, okay, you know, this company is making money and they're going to grow. Um, yeah. If, if there is a negative sentiment, that's the right time to buy. And uh, it also aligns with what I said earlier when, you know, when you have made a very decent amount of prom- uh, profit on a company, that means it's riding high and people are getting uh, really, you know, uh, really excited about that company. But that's the right time to exit uh, because you know, uh, people, uh, you know, pe- smart investors or how can I say it? smart money, like big money, uh, you know, institutional investors, they act. Uh, opposite to what the public uh, actions are. So when they're buying, uh, public is generally selling and vice versa. So uh, this, uh, this you can see in the news. If you see uh, a news item in the, in the financial news that uh, recession is coming, that generally means, uh, you know, it's going to be a good uh, stock market uh, in the future. Yeah. Uh, And the reverse is true because uh, there are underlying theories about it. And, uh, you know, in, in short, what, 
what happens is big money has to buy a lot of stocks, a lot of uh, sell, buy and sell a lot of stocks. They cannot do it uh, profitably if they just do it in, in one shot. So they have to, they have to do it over time slowly. And in order to generate that much, let's say if they, if they need to buy, they need to incentivize the public to sell their stock. Yes. Otherwise it's very difficult for them to buy that much stock and vice versa. So that's why, you know, all these stories come up and, uh, you know, it's, it's not uh, like, it's not a conspiracy. It's just human nature. How these stories tend to, uh, get noticed mm-hmm. at the wrong by the public and the smart investors, they know, okay, you know, I'm reading this because of, uh, because of, you know, this is what's going to happen in the future. So is there this, any books, any books that you would suggest, um, would be interesting for people to, to read on investing? Uh, I think, uh, uh, uh so the, uh, Warren Buffett's, uh, value investing and, um, there is, uh, uh, O'Neill's, uh, investors business daily, uh, investor business daily is a website and it's a newspaper mm-hmm. and his, uh, that was started by a guy named O'Neill. I forget the name. Um, his he, he has written some really good books on stock market. So have a read at that. And uh, I have some good recommendations. Why don't I email it to you? Yeah, yeah, of course. And, we'll put it. We'll put it in the show notes. Email them over to me, and I will put them in the show notes. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, Warren Buffett was was very very good. Um, as I said, the more recent one is this Tony Robbins unshakable. I think that's really, really powerful. And it, it, it breaks down for me, it broke down a lot of the the myths that are around investing that most people believe I recession bad, um, good times uh, are amazing. And, and, and actually is actually the opposite if you want to invest. So, so I would advise that unshakable by Tony Robbins. Um, so, so moving on from that, thank you for about, about investing. I find that fascinating. Um, so, so you do some volunteering. So, um, in the, is it the Vancouver Vector Vest user group? Is it? Yeah, yeah. So Vector Vest is uh, is a is a is an investing program that you can use to you know learn and invest. Uh, and I became a user back in two thousand nine. And what I found was you know it was a research tool that I was using. Right. And using that tool, I built my own systems, you know, using my background in software and all that. Um, and what I found was a lot of people were confused about it and did not, uh, did not know how to use it. So in, in, in Vancouver, where I live, there is a user group. Um, and I used to attend a couple of meetings and I, you know, I made a few presentations and uh, next thing I knew, they made me the, the group uh, leader. Uh, so I was sort of, you know, in charge of running the group and, uh, sharing uh, information with the with the investors, and um, it was fascinating. There were chartered accountants, there were doctors, there were you know wealthy people, uh, and the, you know these these people have been investing for years, and they had capital to invest, and still found their knowledge very very basic, and uh, that was quite interesting to me, and that's the reason why you know I I I, I was really motivated to share uh, whatever I had uh, learned over time and I read it for about a couple of years. It was very interesting uh, to share the information, learn from few users, but then uh, quite some, some unfortunate thing, things start to happen where, you know, I invited a guest to speak and he, uh, he was, you know, they, they started taking advantage of uh, their uh, lack of knowledge and started pushing some products and services, which were 
of um, dubious in nature, which happens everywhere in this financial industry, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I, I came to the conclusion that I do not want to be involved in something like that, where people start to lose money. The intention was uh, basically to share information freely. Yeah. And that down at that time. Okay. Um, awesome. Uh, so just starting to wrap up, uh, thank you very much for your uh, contribution today. So what do you still want to do? What do you still want to achieve in your career and business? Um, well, personally, I want to achieve, uh, you know, uh, I have found, a, a, you know, a, um, my passion, which is travel um, and personal development. So I want to uh, figure out a way how I can incorporate that, those passions into my work. Um, and uh, overall, I just want to help other people at this time uh, to, to achieve their goals, you know, because uh, uh, I, when I look back, uh, I had a very, uh, you know, hard time uh, getting to where I am today, trying to figure things out on my own. So uh, my passion is also to share my experience and knowledge with others um, who may be at, at a certain stage in their career and, and they don't know how to, how to go to the next step. Uh, you know, somebody may be looking to, uh, you know, get their next uh, uh, promotion in their job or learn a new technology or launch a new startup. So all these things I've done over time and I know what works, what doesn't work. So my passion is also sharing that information. Uh, and, you know, this is, this is what we are doing today as well, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So are you, are you expecting speaking events? Are you, are you going around to schools or to universities? Where, where are you sort of sharing your uh, knowledge? Well, well, right now, uh, you know, the more, um, there are two things which I'm doing right now. We, are, we train engineers on all the cutting edge technology. So yeah. uh, we do that through uh, self-paced, uh, video-based courses, okay. live training. Yeah. Um, instructor-led training, so all those um, types of training we provide. And uh, for the startups, uh, you know, we have mentorship programs and consulting services where we help uh, founders or uh, startup uh, entrepreneurs uh, yep. figure out, you know, what they want to do, how to get there quickly, efficiently, on the right uh, within the right timeline and the right budgets. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? ask you a question or, or just maybe like link in with you and, and, and your knowledge, where, where can they find you? Sure. So um, you can email me directly manuj at tatanoodle.com. Uh, My website is tatanoodle.com and connect with me on LinkedIn and uh, other social media networks on Facebook. Uh, I will uh, send you a few links that you can probably add to the show notes and uh, it should be easy enough to find me. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Manju, so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I'm sure it's been incredibly interesting to hear the sort of the, the variety of your career from, from technology to investing to personal development. So thank you very much for your time. Thanks um, a lot. Thank you. Um, so just, just to sign off, um, thank you everyone for listening. Um, this is the Absolute Business Mindset Podcast. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram, uh, Mark J. Hayward. Um, also, um, you can check me out on Patreon. I've just set, just testing out Patreon to see uh, if it's worth worth investing my time into. So please check that out. There's all ty- there's different tiers 
that you can join me and uh, and you get various benefits and uh, as well special uh, offers from there. Um, also, podcast you can find it on all your best podcast hosting, and also you'll find it on YouTube as well. So, thank you very much, Manju, and uh, we'll speak again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks.